2: Warning, this series contains discussions of themes that might be distressing for some listeners.
1: I don't believe he's walked out there. What I know unfolded that night and what's been told is totally different. played out and it was the truth I could believe it but I don't believe it at all
2: The Boy in the Water is a newsroom.co.nz production Mysterious circumstances improbable theories a debacle of a police investigation and a small town on edge what really happened to little Lockie Jones? Kia ora, I'm Melanie Reid, Newsroom's Investigations Editor. Welcome to the third episode of our podcast, The Boy in the Water, Deeply Troubled. Radio. So I'm here with Paul on his career run in in Gore. Pretty foggy this morning. And cold,
1: I'm feeling the cold.
2: Do you often get fog? It's pretty thick.
1: Yeah, just from that river down there, we get a lot of fog early in the mornings until it lifts.
2: It's really busy in the mornings, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's full on, full on. It's quite a busy wee town. It's uh, very farm orientated. There's a lot of money in Gore.
2: Paul's just going to pick up something. You must know everyone in this town, do you? Picking up parcels, delivering them?
1: Majority of them.
2: You'd almost know what people are having for breakfast, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, generally, yes. Get to see them every day.
2: And so what's with this Giant trout statue in town.
1: I goza with the Matara River, it's a fishing community.
2: It's a famous fishing river, the Mataura.
1: Yeah, it's pretty iconic, I think.
2: So, is a big statue, is that just in case people don't realise that it's a great fishing district?
1: Oh, you always see them standing in there and by the trout and getting photos taken and so obviously the guides on the tour buses tell them it's there, and the heaps of people get photos taken. And
2: not far from the giant trout is the town clock. It plays the Westminster chimes, the same sequence as London's Big Ben. You hear them all over Gore. As well as Paul hassling me to come and do this story, I have to tell you to be honest, I actually really like Gore and I love this part of the country. All these streets and landmarks are so familiar to me. Until I was 10 years old, I lived half an hour from here, in a little town called Tapanui. And once every couple of months, I'd come to Gore with Mrs. Black. She was my very best friend when I was a kid. She was in her late 60s and would drive me down here in her 1971 Chrysler Valiant and buy me the latest solid gold hits record whenever a new volume was released. Back then, Gore was like my New York. There's another thing, I really like the people here. They just seem more real, they're generous and perhaps a bit tougher as well. This brings us, once again, to the WorkSafe case against the Gore District Council, which is what this episode is all about. WorkSafe, of course, is New Zealand's workplace safety watchdog And it was bringing a huge case against the Gore District Council as a result of Lockie's death. I wonder if there would have been any other small council in this country that would have had the nerve to go up against the big government agency.
3: The council had uh, steadfastly maintained that it was not going to plead guilty to the charges brought forward by WorkSafe and that charge was a serious one, which was uh, failing to comply with a duty that exposes an individual to the risk of death. And Karen, So in
2: other words, is that like causing the death?
3: Uh, heavy linkage to that death, yes. And we were just not prepared to sign up for that in terms of pleading guilty.
2: Uh, we this had, is Steve Parry. Had, He's been the CEO of the Gore District Steve Council for 22 years. Theory. Because the council owns and runs the oxidation ponds, it was in the firing line. It's hard to gauge the scale of these ponds unless you're actually out here. The two of them cover, I think, like 20 hectares. And as we know, Lockie was found at the end of the second one. The WorkSafe case was that a serious risk of death arose due to the fencing, or the lack of fencing, around the oxidation ponds. In other words, if the fencing had been better, Lockie wouldn't have been able to get in, fall in, and drown. That was, in essence, the WorkSafe case. The council, though, was not convinced Lockie's death was accidental.
3: We had serious misgivings about the theory put forward by both the police and WorkSafe as to how young Lachlan met his end at the um, southernmost oxidation pond. Uh, We were told right from the get-go that Lachlan had walked down the road and scaled our fence and continued down this uh, rough gravel and thistle-strawn track right down to the southernmost pond, a journey of... Uh, from his house about 1.2 kilometres and with no police dog scent, no no scent picked up until the dog was about 40 metres from uh, Lachlan's body and then he, obviously the dog picked up the scent. But we were troubled by that and and then, of course, we'd peruse the police investigation, the first one, uh, when I got the file and were deeply troubled by some of the conclusions that could be drawn
2: It's pretty interesting, though, that the council is troubled by the police investigation.
3: Uh, Well, we needed to find out just what facts the police and therefore WorkSafe were relying on to advance the prosecution against us. And we just could not see how you could credibly uh, assert that he had pretty much two hours to get down the road um, over the fence along the track, climbing a bund, falling into the water and being sufficiently dead for long enough where the paramedics who found him uh, said that he was stone cold. So he'd been dead for a while, all within two hours. We found that hard to believe.
2: It was a pretty big thing, though, for a small council to take on WorkSafe, which is a government department and a heavyweight institution.
3: Absolutely. This is uh, serious stuff. The maximum fine under the section of the Act, which WorkSafe were prosecuting us on, uh, is $1.5 million. And you talk around the traps within health and safety, and and most professionals suggest that you're better off just uh, folding your tent, pleading guilty and lowering the fine. In this case, there was such a deep-seated discomfort uh, within the council, and that's not just at my level, officer level, but within the political level of the council uh, and the wider community, about this doesn't seem right. So we decided to to certainly plead not guilty and to just reserve our position. And I was hopeful that in the passage of time, I guess I placed a lot of store on this, uh, that the second police Uh, investigation that it would uh, reach a different finding and perhaps it might have discovered that it wasn't an accident after all. But I was, I guess, disappointed because the second police investigation, uh, through the passage of time and I understand the loss of crucial evidence, has meant that uh, a conclusion other than what they arrived at in the first investigation was not possible.
2: Yeah, that Lockheed died as a result of drowning.
0: Mm. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.
2: So the council hired hotshot lawyers from a prestigious law firm in Christchurch and prepared to fight the charges. Paul Jones and Cara Maguire now had some serious allies.
1: We were
3: really looking forward to this court case. Everything was going to be laid bare. The police had already done two substandard investigations, in our opinion and we were no closer to knowing the truth about what happened to Lockie. Uh, So this court hearing was going to be our last chance. The Gore Council were adamant they were going to fight the case in the public arena, so everyone was finally going to understand what Paul and I had been going on about all this time.
2: We now know all about the issues with the pathology and the substandard post-mortem performed on Lockie. But even before this was known, there was tremendous confidence around town that the council would roll WorkSafe in court based on the fact that the police investigation had been a complete debacle. Remember this from the previous episodes. When someone dies, like even in a traffic accident, the whole area is cordoned off. They fingerprint, they look at tyre tracks, they look at footprints.
1: No, I just think that they have um, straight away suggested that it was an accident.
2: Add to that what the private investigator, Glenn Rigby, said. Police haven't requested um, cell phone data uh,
3: until almost two months after Lachlan uh, was, was found, which means by that stage uh, text traffic has been lost from some of those phones, not all of them, but some of them. There doesn't seem to be any retrospective timeline um, conducted by investigating officers. Um, Some of the statements that police members have taken seem um, poor, where the members perhaps have been inexperienced, but it's been a very cursory
2: interview with with neighbours and potential witnesses. Here's Paul Jones and Karen Maguire. We've got no one that's seen him.
1: The timelines are all not right. His body was cold. No marks on his feet or body. A dog never picked up a scent. That would indicate he was either carried out there or
2: driven out there. What about the depth of the pond? He would have been able to stand up. Yep, easily. If he'd fallen in, he would have been able to stand up. So it was really shallow. Yep. yep. Back now to Steve Parry, the Gore Council Chief Executive. Can I ask you Why do you think, or how and why, have the police in this town done such a substandard investigation every step of the way?
3: Um, I think, you know, sometimes in policing matters, there's there's possibly an element of either complacency or a, a quick drawing of a conclusion, and then potentially inquiries being conducted on the basis that this is the theory and we'll conduct our inquiries to match that theory. But to me I was just troubled by it. Um, Just that trouble I guess that no one stood back and said look does this actually make any sense?
2: It, It is quite interesting from an outsider's point of view to see the council going up so hardcore against the police and what they think.
3: Yeah, I think in the end the council represents the community and all along the council thought, look, there's a lot of disquiet in the community. For the sake of the community, we need to uh, find the truth and we shouldn't just, as I used to say, sleepwalk your way to a a conviction knowing that perhaps you could have done something else different. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, a rare step but I think in this case a justified step. I, I must say, you know, I, I'm, I'm a lawyer by training. I got the first police file um, reasonably early in the piece, and when I read through it, I thought, if I got it all, is there, is there, is there, is, there must be some parts here missing. And You've
2: also got a very experienced former CIB detective on your council, have you not? Yes. So maybe they didn't see you guys coming.
3: Don't know, but, I mean, both uh, myself and Richard had read the file independently.
2: So Richard McPhail obviously was a, a, a former senior sergeant in Gore. Yes, that's correct. And he's on your council? Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. So a few heavyweights in there that weren't going to be pushed around. Well, I think we've got an inquiring mind, and I was
3: deeply troubled right from the get-go when I was told a young boy has drowned in your ponds. I was shocked. But uh, the more I looked into it, the more I was troubled by the theory that was being proposed or promoted uh, to suggest he drowned.
2: I mean, everybody in Gore seems to just shake their head when you mention Lachlan's name. It feels like the whole town is invested in this case.
3: Yeah, there's a really, um, i call it a pool of disquiet uh, in, on the over the community about what has occurred and that the truth is yet to be found in a lot of people's minds. Um, And I think for a lot of people in the community, there is hope that um, the authorities, whoever they may be, might eventually be energised to to find the truth as to what occurred. Um, And it's like any issue of a disappearance or a death of a person if there's a feeling that there remains element of mystery or a dissatisfaction about the adequacy of investigation uh, it's like having a stone in your shoe it just it just won't go away it reminds you constantly and it's uh, something that's awkward to live with
2: The WorkSafe versus the Gore District Council five-day defended hearing was set down for early in 2023. By now, it was nearly four years since Lockie's death. But Paul and Karen were both hopeful this would be their big chance to get everything re-examined.
3: Uh, I'm going to start the proceedings uh, by having a minute's silence to mark Lockie's passing and to show respect for his memory. Thank you. Would you all stand?
2: We'll take you inside the Gore courtroom later in the series but coming up in episode four Paul and Lockie's mother's rocky relationship the police call-outs the unhappy half-brothers what was going on at Salford Street leading up to Lockie's death
1: They were making up stories and rubbish and calling the police on me and yeah, yeah, we didn't get on at all in the end
2: Paul arrived here and he was not good. Oh, I tell you, he was beside himself. Paul was here that afternoon on a Sunday and the cops come here and took him away for a result. For more journalism that matters, including our award-winning true crime series and podcast, Peter, Alice, The Crash Case and me, head to newsroom.co.nz or your favourite podcast app. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate and review our series. It helps new listeners find us. You can also follow our social media pages by searching The Boy in the Water. This series is written and produced by me, Melanie Reid, along with Bonnie Sumner and Judith Curran. It's edited by Paul Endicott. Original music by H. Pryor. You're listening to The Boy in the Water, public interest journalism funded through Aotearoa New Zealand On Air.